Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gospel that we just sang about. That our salvation is not found in our works, for our works would always fail. Our salvation is found in Christ alone. In his shed blood, paid on our behalf, the punishment of sin. Father, I ask that you would help us to remember, to never stray from the fact that salvation is from the Lord alone. And that we receive the gifts of salvation not by doing good things for other people, not by attending church or giving money to the church, but it comes only by faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for Martin Luther over 500 years ago taking a stand for the gospel, declaring that what the church was officially teaching about salvation coming through good works and salvation coming from, from uh, various other means was not right. And thank you for the Reformation that that act of rebellion and defiance sparked. For we are beneficiaries of that even today. I ask, Father, that you would help us as we dig into your word, that you would help us to uh, remember that our salvation doesn't come from uh, emulating the good works that we're going to see from our example in, uh, in Philippians today, but our salvation comes in Christ alone, and then we produce these good works. Help us to live for you. Help us to uh, put our minds on things that are above. Help us to have the mind of Christ. Father, that is the theme of our book study. And Father, it is a profound thing to think and so act as Christ would think and act. Because Father, that is completely unnatural to us. We are naturally self-centered. We are naturally bent towards sin. And only you can change our hearts. So we ask for that. We ask that you would infect our hearts and minds with the truth of your word and that uh, you, would, you would do so even today that we might live and act more like our Savior. Father, help us to uh, be the ones who are more than willing to do whatever you ask us to do, to be willing to serve, to be willing to sacrifice. Help us to uh, be motivated to spend time with you each and every day, not just motivated, but disciplined, that we would actually do it, that we would spend time with you in prayer each and every day, they would spend time in your word, hearing from you through your word. That we would genuinely examine our lives, our actions, our motives, our thought processes to see what wicked ways are still there that we can perhaps grow and change. That we can abandon those sins and pursue godliness. Father, however it is you want to work in us today, uh, help us to be led by the Spirit to obey. That your Spirit would prompt us and convict us and that we would turn in obedience to you. So Father, as we open your word, I ask that you would bless our time together, that you would be honored and glorified, that you would speak to us through your word and that we would uh, listen and obey in Jesus' name. 
We are continuing our series in Philippians, The Mind of Christ, so I invite you to join me in Philippians chapter 2. We are just picking up where we left off last week. We will be looking at the example of Epaphroditus. Our desire in going through this epistle, this letter to the Philippians, is that we would come through it more like Christ, that uh, where we find ourselves at the end of the book uh, would be different than where we found ourselves at the beginning, that we would, uh, not by forcing our actions to conform, but by changing our mind and our hearts and our spirit, that we would be more like Jesus Christ. Because it's true, as our thinking changes, so will our actions then change. We've been working through a theme passage. I invite you to read or quote it with me. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 give a good uh, summation of where the book is and where it goes, and so I invite you to say it with me. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. As you look in your scripture, you see that we're at the end of chapter 2 this week. And so as we get into chapter 3, we will add the next verse. If you're memorizing this at home, Philippians 2, 5 through 8 is our actual entire uh, theme passage. Humility is the key concept of the book of Philippians, and it's specifically Jesus' humility that is held as our high example. The fact is, pride infects all that we do. We see it in others, but we rarely see it in ourselves. We can spot pride, or more accurately, arrogance, in the, in the first season athlete who thinks he's all that in a bag of chips. We look at that person and go, No, you'll get so much better. Just keep at it. But it's harder to see in ourselves. There's a song, and I don't know the whole song. I hope it's not too bad for those of you who know it. If if there's something bad in the rest of it, I apologize. But here's the part that I remember. Oh, Lord, it's hard hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Some of you know that song. It is hard to be humble when we don't realize where we don't stack up, right? Jesus is the greatest example of humility, and yet he is the one that was never deficient in anything. If there was someone who could have pride in being holy, it would be Jesus because he was always holy. If there was someone who could have pride in his ability, it would be Jesus, for he is the creator of all things. Yet he humbled himself. And in doing so, he set a high example for us to follow. And lest we be convinced that we cannot emulate Christ because he's perfect at it, it's true, we can't fully do that. Lest we be convinced that we are unable to be humble like Jesus is, the scripture gives us examples of some men who were also humble. Last week we looked at Timothy. This week, follow along as we read about another man, Epaphroditus, who lived out the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, we'll begin reading in verse 25. 
I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Father, please bless the reading of your word and our time expounding it. Guide my thoughts and words and help us to to be open to the Spirit's leading in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing we see in our passage today is that Epaphroditus served. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister. Who is Epaphroditus? Well, he's only named in the book of Philippians. So all we really know about him is what Scripture tells us in the the couple mentions that we have. We have a little bit of mention here in chapter 2 and then again a a little bit of mention of him in chapter 4. Don't confuse him with Epaphras. Epaphras Uh, is found in the book of Colossians. He was a pastor of theirs, or had been a pastor of theirs. Uh, And and, uh, even though Epaphras can be shortened from Epaphroditus, uh, there's no reason to think that these are the same people because Epaphras was from Colossae and Epaphroditus is from Philippi. Uh, So uh, these are two different people. Uh, the, The man we're talking about today is Epaphroditus. Paul uses various terms to describe him, calling him a brother, In other words, a brother in Christ, a close relationship, not by family blood, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Those can be some of the closest relationships, can't they? In fact, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ are sometimes closer than family. I know, I know you, I know some of you, that that is very true, because you have family members who are unsaved, and how that tugs on you because you don't have that commonality with Jesus Christ. The family of God grows ties that run deep, and rightly so. Paul says Epaphroditus is my brother. He says fellow worker, um, term we might use is co-worker, someone that you work side by side for the same goals. But Paul means more than simply doing the same task because he compounds their relationship of being co-workers as being co-soldiers or fellow soldiers. The fellow soldier is one who has gone through a severe experience or a strenuous task with you. Now hopefully that isn't true of your day in and day out job. Uh, But that's what has happened with Paul and Epaphroditus. They have been through very deep waters together. As a fellow soldier, they are tight because of what they have gone through. Paul calls him a messenger from the Philippians. Uh, a messenger, is, in this case, is more than simply a, a letter carrier, although uh, Epaphroditus did bring word from Philippi to Paul. Uh, but it carries more the concept of representation, that in talking with Epaphroditus, 
Paul was communicating with the church in Philippi. Which brings us to the next word, minister. He says that he is your messenger and minister to my need. That word minister means to serve, and it really does sum up all the descriptors that Paul gives regarding Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus serves God by serving God's people. Actually, Epaphroditus serves God by serving his church in Philippi, and in service to the church in Philippi, he is serving Paul. We have people who serve us by serving others away from here. We call them missionaries. They are part of our ministry team, but they are not here with us on a regular basis. They are serving God, serving others elsewhere. Be like Epaphroditus, serve. Last week it was be like Timothy. This week, be like Epaphroditus, serve. Every one of these words that Paul uses to describe Epaphroditus is a form of relational servanthood. It wasn't just that he did things for others, it's that he related well to them. Be a brother to others who are serving Christ. Be willing to go through tough times for the cause of Christ, for the cause of the gospel. Minister, serve, make a difference in other believers' lives. That's what we find Epaphroditus doing for Paul. We see that he served In verses 26 and 27, we see that he cared. For he's been longing for you all. Epaphroditus has been longing to go back home to be with his fellow church members in Philippi and has been distressed because the church had heard that he had been ill. Do you see why Epaphroditus was distressed? He doesn't say that he was distressed because he had gotten sick or that he was distressed because the ministry he was having with Paul was being hampered by his illness. No, he was distressed because others had heard that he was sick. What a selfless attitude. Being much less concerned for his own needs, he worried for his church family back home. What was the nature of this sickness? We don't know, other than he was near to death. It was a a difficult time in his life, and they weren't sure he was going to pull through. Um, Any speculation as to what this illness was is going to be just that. It's going to be a guess, and ultimately guessing what was wrong with Epaphroditus does nothing to edify us. What we do know does. What we do know is that he was very, very ill, and yet his heart and mind was set on serving. He was distressed Not because of himself, but because others were worried about him. He cared for others. He did not want his illness to be a burden to others. Be like Epaphroditus. Care for others ahead of yourself. Care for them so much that you would much rather be burdened for their well-being than to have them burdened for yours. Before moving on, though, let's look at verse 27. Uh, It says how ill he was, but God had mercy lest Paul should experience sorrow upon sorrow. Do you see the language that Paul uses, how it just drips with the sovereignty of God? We talked about that last week as well. God had mercy on him. 
It doesn't say, well, Epaphroditus was near death, but he got better. No, God made him better. Epaphroditus' healing, and every time that you are healed or I am healed from whatever it is we go through, that is God's mercy. And we should see it as such. Again, we cannot speculate as to the nature of uh, this specific illness, but we certainly, um, and, and we can't, if we don't know the illness, we certainly can't know the path that God chose to heal him. He may have used common grace of medicine, or he may have just healed him, done a miracle. God often uses normal means to accomplish his will for someone to be healed, but no, make no mistake, when healing happens, it's because God did it. Paul sees Epaphroditus' recovery as the hand of God, not only in Epaphroditus' life, but in his own. And hopefully by the end of the sermon, I can say Epaphroditus' name without sounding like or feeling like my tongue is getting tied in knots. It's not a good name. I don't like it. (laughs) Paul was distraught over this illness and would have been more so had his brother in Christ died, but God was merciful by keeping him from this compounding sorrow. Epaphroditus served, he cared, he cared more about the Philippians than his own health. Thirdly, we see that Epaphroditus followed God. Verse 28, I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. We see here, first of all, Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, belonged. He had a church family, a church back home that missed him and whom he missed. Now, from time to time, uh, we're unable to all be here. Maybe, maybe you get sick or maybe you're off visiting family. We miss you when you're gone. Do you miss us when you're gone? Epaphroditus belonged he knew his church, and his church knew him. He had been sent on a mission to deliver a financial gift from the Philippian church, which is mentioned at the end of chapter 4, if you wonder where I'm getting that. And he was a helper to Paul, as well as a representative of his church. And he succeeded in his mission, sort of. It didn't turn out at all the way that he had planned. Again, we don't have any detail as to what caused his illness, other than he was very sick. The one who brought great comfort and help to Paul also inadvertently brought much anxiety because he got sick. This was not part of the mission. This was not part of the intention. But that's how the best intentions go sometimes, isn't it? Here's something to take to heart. When you set out to serve God and it does not go the way it should, it doesn't go the way that you expected or others anticipated, does not mean that you were wrong to try in the first place. Take that to heart. God may call you to do something and it may, on the surface, look like it kind of bombed out. Don't take, don't take that personally. God leads that way sometimes. I have a friend in Texas. His name is Brian. He was a single man at the time. He had a heart to be a missionary in Israel. He did the hard, arduous work 
of raising funds, going on deputation to be a missionary in Israel. Uh, a couple things he had against him. Uh, he was uh, not part of the Southern Baptist Church, and so uh, Southern Baptist churches, which there were a lot of them in Texas, being in the South, uh, made it difficult for him to raise funds uh, among some of those churches. He was single. People tend to want to support families. And so it, it was a difficult task for him to raise the funds, but he was faithful. He raised the funds, and as a church, we celebrated. We gave him a good send-off. And just a few months later, he was back in Dallas. What had happened is the only visa he was able to get was a tourist visa, and they would approve it, and they would renew it, and then they would renew it, but then they decided, nope, we're not going to renew it anymore. And they actually told him the last time he tried to renew his visa or to get a different kind of visa is go home and don't come back. What happened? Was God not in it from the first? I believe he was. In fact, there was lots of evidence that God was in this sending of our own church member to Israel to, uh, to serve the Lord there. Uh, his sending, we, his sending church, saw that God was in fact leading the believers that he joined in Israel to help them as they uh, established a church. Uh, they believed that, that Brian was the, the right man for the time, uh, but God only saw fit for him to be there like six months or so. What we thought to be the leading of God for a long-term service was actually not what God was doing, and that was okay. Shortly thereafter, he uh, began ministering full-time at another church. He got married, has a kid now. Life is completely different. God led in all of it. Epaphroditus went to Paul with a certain expectation, but God had other plans. Yet God was not done with him as evidenced by his surviving the illness. Be like Epaphroditus. Follow God's leading even if it doesn't make sense. Or even if it doesn't go as planned. God doesn't always lead in a way that you might anticipate. In fact, if he did, how much of a God would he be? Right? He knows what he's doing. You can trust him. Faithful servants of God enter a ministry task with the mindset of staying, of seeing it through. Grace Baptist Church is the third church with which I've been a full-time pastor. Each pastorate I've taken, I've expected to be there till I died. Clearly that didn't happen. I've been here about five and a half years, and every once in a while someone will ask if I'm starting to look elsewhere. Well, no, I'm not. I'm here until God moves me. And I don't think he is, just to settle that. I don't need the rumor mill starting there. When the Lord makes clear for his people to serve, we should do it. And we should expect to follow all the way through. But if God puts a left turn in there somewhere, that's fine. And that's on him. God doesn't always lead in a way that we might anticipate. That's a good thing. We do well when we, uh, when we are flexible, bending to the will of God as he reveals it to us. We do well when we are humble and don't assume that we know exactly what's going to happen next. Epaphroditus was following God 
no matter how he led. In verses 29 and 30, we see that he was faithful. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Paul wants to make it abundantly clear, absolutely clear to the church, that Epaphroditus was not a failure in his mission to encourage Paul. When he returns, they should rejoice at his return for having served well. Epaphroditus stands as as an example of one who exhibited the mind of Christ, risking his life to serve. So Paul commends the church and commands the church to honor him and others like him. He encouraged Paul. He is an encouragement to the church. He is an example of being like Christ. Therefore, the Philippians should receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. The humble man will not honor himself for his accomplishments. Others must honor him. And Paul commands the Philippians to do just that. Also notice the key role that Epaphroditus fulfilled in his church. He, uh, the second part of verse 29, completed what was lacking in your service to me. The church was committed to ministering to Paul in his ministry. And at the present time then, in his imprisonment, because he was a, a, a missionary, he was a, a church planter, but he was being restrained at the time. The church was committed to ministering to Paul. Really, they wanted to do more than they could. That which was lacking in Paul's support from Philippi was not any fault of theirs. It was just what was. It was just the situation. So he's not making some sort of passive-aggressive remark here about um, them not supporting him well. There simply had just been no one who could personally tend to Paul until Epaphroditus stepped up. Be like Epaphroditus. He was in a difficult position because of his health, yet he was faithful in being of service to Paul, even in his reduced capacity. In fact, Paul presents Epaphroditus' trip back to Philippi as Paul sending him rather than Epaphroditus going because he just can't handle it anymore or whatever. Epaphroditus is leaving at Paul's directive. We can learn much from these few verses about Epaphroditus. We too can serve. We can care for others more than we care for ourselves. We can follow God regardless of the outcome. And we too can be faithful. So how are you doing? How are you doing in having the mind of Christ? Do you think the ways that Christ thinks? Putting others first. He, the perfect example, but as we saw last week in Timothy and this week in Epaphroditus, examples that we can follow, that we can emulate. Do you look for opportunities to serve him by serving other believers, the church? By serving others and serving the church, I don't necessarily mean by taking on an official role, though that is one way. This is a timely reminder as we're in the process of nominating people to various roles in the church. If you're asked to be on the ballot, let the reasons that you might decline be few. Let the reasons that you might say no be solid reasons as to why you might not be willing to serve. And then, then let God have his way 
know, we think of church elections as being uh, a democratic process, but really it's God's way of making his will known. In the Old Testament, they would do the equivalent of flipping a coin, and they would trust that as God's will. They had the, the Urim and the Thummim that the high priest would keep in his, his garment, and when he needed a question of God, uh, he would ask it in such a way that depending on which stone he would pull out, which colored stone he would pull out of the pocket, that would be his answer from God, and he trusted that to be God's will for them. That's how church elections are. We are being used by God to select servers for the upcoming year. Be like Epaphroditus. Have the mind of Christ. Care for others more than even yourself. Follow God's leading. Submit to his will no matter how he leads. And always be faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this example of a man who was uh, like, like we are. He was not perfect. Uh, he, had, uh, he had earthly concerns such as his own health. And yet he is held up to us as an example of one who lived like Christ. Father, your call in our life is, is to be holy as you are holy. Your call in our life is to be giving and sacrificial as you have sacrificed for us. Your call in our life is to be humble. And, and we're not good at any of those things. But as we saturate ourselves in the word of God, as we allow the spirit to work in us and, and develop us, grow us, uh, Lord, we will grow to be more like Christ. So thank you for the example of, of these men in Timothy and Epaphroditus who exhibited what you were looking for in how people ought to live, and, and we can do so as well. So Father, I ask that as we go throughout this week that you would uh, reveal to us how we, uh, how we still need to grow, how we need to be more like our Savior. Father, encourage us in ways that we already have been growing. And Father, we ask that uh, as we seek to live for you, that you will bring about uh, the bounty, that you will bring about the results that you want in us. In Jesus' name, amen.